Hi, true crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Melissa Lancaster, and I have some exciting news that I wanted to share with you guys this week. Coffee, Murder, and Mystery was selected to be a part of the top 15 crime history podcasts on the web. We are listed as number 12, and I have never been so honored to be number 12 in my life. I've been podcasting for approximately a year, and Coffee, Murder, and Mystery is my first show, and it's been wonderful to see it grow, and it's amazing when things like this happen, and I get chosen out of all the true crime podcasts out there to be in a top 15. I'll have a link in our show notes so you guys can discover some other true crime history podcasts, and I want to thank them for letting us be a part of it. And that kind of reminded me that it has been a long time since I've actually done a historical episode. And I am really excited to share many facts with you about one of the oldest, if not the oldest, forms of execution, beheadings. I think it's a super interesting subject. Just the human behavior overall associated with beheadings. Now, the reason I say some facts is because I don't want this to be confused with a complete list of facts about beheadings. I mean, this was a method of execution for centuries, and there's just no way I can compile every single thing about beheadings into one episode. And it seems that a lot of methods change, you know, every few years in certain areas, and they definitely change by region. So although beheading was a method of execution in most places, the majority of my facts focus on France. I'm definitely not picking on them. They just have a really interesting history. One thing that I've always hear people saying, and I think that I've said this on this podcast before, is that society seems to say that people are getting worse, that like people are getting eviler and more horrible things are happening all the time. But I think if we really look into the past, it doesn't feel this way to me. I just can't agree. I think that our expectations on how we're to treat others have been steadily evolving over time, and rightfully so. We no longer see things that used to be considered normal as the least bit acceptable. And I I think we still have a ways to go in our evolution of how we treat people and whatnot. Although I can say I am very happy with how far we've come. And although this has nothing to do with beheadings, a great example is the fact that marital rape was not illegal in all 50 states of the U.S. until 1993. But today, we don't find that to be an acceptable act at all. And we definitely would not condone the methods of execution that were seen as commonplace years ago. Execution methods were not just horrible and brutal because it was execution. 
They were actually created to be the most horrible, brutal process that people could think of to deter people from committing crimes. And the weird part is entire families attended execution. Even the children, they made a day of it. It was a family activity. Not only did they attend, they were eager to take home souvenirs. Beheading itself is a very old practice. Ancient Greeks and Romans found beheading to be an honorable form of death. There were times throughout history when heads were collected and shrunken, and skulls were collected as well. They would be worn or displayed, and sometimes even used to drink out of. Oftentimes, they were worn on a man's belt, and this would determine his rank and his hierarchy. And today, if someone killed many people and wore their heads on a belt or displayed them at all, we call that serial murder. But back then, it gave you status. Another reason they would be worn or displayed would be to deter potential enemies. Through the years, the act of beheading was often combined with another form of execution. For example, a man convicted of high treason in England in 1352 would be fastened to a wooden panel which was attached to a horse, drugged to the place of execution to be hanged almost to death, but not quite. He was then emasculated, disemboweled, beheaded, and quartered publicly. The pieces of his body would then be displayed. The London Bridge was a popular place to display an executed individual. Women convicted of high treason had a different fate. They were burned at the stake. In the 19th century, they did reform the process of drawing and quartering by hanging the individual until they were actually dead, and then they would behead and quarter the person post-mortem. Beheadings were traditionally carried out with an axe, but during the 11th century, the sword came into play, but it was reserved for nobility. If you were poor, you still got the axe. But unfortunately, heads were often left hanging. It often took multiple blows to decapitate someone. Families would pay the executioner to make sure that the blade was sharp for their family members. A large portion of the population was excited about attending a beheading. But there were some more progressive individuals who saw the chopping away at one's neck as cruel and inhumane, no matter the crime. One of these individuals was no other than Dr. Joseph Ignis Guillotine. The doctor was opposed to capital punishment, but he felt that the best he could do was to propose a device to make the act more humane. He was actually dismissed a few times when he proposed that a device should be created that would take off one's head in one swipe. I mean, they really kind of just laughed him off, but he persisted and eventually they accepted his plans, allowing him to oversee the prototype development of the guillotine. The actual design was by Antoine Louise, and the guillotine itself was built by a harpsichord maker, Tobias Schmidt, and it made its first head roll, forgive me, that was probably terrible. 
1792. The man's name, and I will not be saying this correctly, is Nicholas Jacques Pelletier, and he was a highwayman convicted of murder. Although Dr. Guillotine had done what he intended and made execution by beheading more humane, he was not happy that the device was named after him. He was a doctor whom opposed capital punishment, and he did not want to be associated with death. The good doctor even petitioned for the name to be changed and was denied. This is a great example of the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. Hitler actually had about 20 guillotines placed in German cities. Nazi Germany executed about 16,500 people using the guillotine. I did want to take a moment to tell you guys about Podcorn and to thank Podcorn for sponsoring today's episode. Podcorn is my go-to for monetizing my podcast. The user-friendly marketplace allows you to browse companies that are offering potential sponsorship, giving you control of your sponsorship content in your show. You don't need to have a huge audience to use Podcorn. You set your own rates and collaborate with companies you love. What I love most about Podcorn is the security. They have measures in place to transfer payment. I do not have to worry about invoicing anyone or handing out my personal information to companies that I've not worked with before. A huge thank you to Podcorn for sponsoring today's episode. And if you want to start monetizing your podcast, you can sign up at podcorn.com. That's P-O-D-C-O-R-N.com. Or just check out the link in my show notes. Scientists actually studied the heads of the decapitated. The following was written by Dr. Bjorix, who observed the head of an executed prisoner, Henry Languille, on the 28th of June, 1905. Here, then, is what I was able to note immediately after the decapitation. The eyelids and lips of the guillotined man worked in irregularly rhythmic contractions for about five or six seconds. This phenomena has been remarked by all those finding themselves in the same conditions as myself for observing what happens after the severing of the neck. I waited for several seconds. The spasmodic movements ceased. It was then that I called in a strong, sharp voice. Languil? I saw the eyelids slowly lift up without any spasmodic contractions. I insist advisedly on this peculiarity, but with an even movement quite distinct and normal, such as happens in everyday life, with people awakened or torn from their thoughts. Next, Languil's eyes very definitely fix themselves on mine, and the pupils focus to themselves. I was not, then, dealing with this sort of vague, dull look without any expression that can be observed any day in dying people to whom one speaks. I was dealing with the undeniably living eyes which were looking at me. After several seconds, the eyelids closed again. 
It was at that point that I called out again and, once more, without any spasm, slowly the eyelids lifted and undeniably living eyes fixed themselves on mine with perhaps even more penetration than the first time. Then there was a further closing of the eyelids, but now less complete. I attempted the effect of a third call. There was no further movement, and the eyes took on the glazed look which they have in the dead. But still, people in general loved executions, so much so that executioners were treated like national celebrities. Even children played with little toy guillotine replicas. Now, I thought these must have been dull or like, I don't know, did they have plastic then? I don't think they did. Um, But no, they were literally replicas. They were sharp. Kids would decapitate their dolls or mice for fun. When you attended an execution, you could even like buy souvenirs or grab a bite to eat at Cabaret de la Guillotine. There was a group of women, and I would love to tell you what they were called, but this word is very French and I am just not good at things like that. Trichosius or something. Um, but regardless, it was a group of women who knitted between executions to keep busy. Eugene Wildman was scheduled for public execution in 1939. And in case you thought you heard me incorrectly, he was scheduled for public execution in 1939. He had been convicted of multiple kidnappings and murders. The crowd was excited to see the blade fall onto the serial killer. And they rushed the area, dabbing their handkerchiefs in his blood for souvenirs. The crowd was described as unruly, disgusting, and doing things like whistling. Apparently, they just lingered through the night. They had once believed that public execution would deter bad behavior, but it was in this moment that they now realized it actually promoted it. Eugene was the last public execution in France, 1939. But that was the last public execution using the guillotine. The guillotine was still used in private executions until 1977. The last three people executed were all child murderers. Now, as I stated at the beginning, France was not the only country that used beheadings for execution. I mean, this was a very commonplace thing. And before the guillotine was even invented, different countries did have similar versions. Germany had what was called the plank. England had something called the Halifax gibbet. Italy had the mania. And then there was the Scottish maiden. Basically, these were all earlier versions of the guillotine, but using like an axe head as the blade, which was known to have some issues because it didn't fit into the frame like the blade of the guillotine did. It went along the entire track. So the guillotine was a little bit more humane 
because it was and it was also sharper. Apparently, it was often debated if the guillotine was actually humane enough. And rightfully so, as we should always be moving forward to better things. But it's also a little bit ironic because the methods of execution prior to the guillotine were meant to be horrible. I mean, there was drawn and quartered. They would pull you apart with horses. They would they disemboweled people. They did many things. I mean, the hanging until you were almost dead, basically so that you were just at their mercy. I mean, that's pretty horrific. And I really think that the human behavior, our past human behavior is really interesting. But now I'm going to tell you something that's heartbreaking. When we think of beheadings, I think we often think that they're a thing of the past. But unfortunately, that's wrong. There have been multiple beheadings in the Middle East, and I'm sure you've heard about them. I think we all have. Journalists, aid workers, Daniel Pearl, James Foley, Stephen Sotloff, Peter Kassig, Kayla Mueller, and I do hope that I said all this right. May they rest in peace. There's more too. They were beheaded all within the last 20 years. Their captors, their murderers, posted the videos of these beheadings on the internet. It's estimated that 1.2 million people watched the videos of the beheading of James Foley within just a few days of his murder. That estimation is only for Great Britain. The whole entire world watched. Their numbers just aren't estimated. An insane amount of people have tuned in to these beheadings. I think it might be safe to say that some of you, some of my listeners, may have tuned in to a beheading. And I enjoy true crime. And some people think that that's wrong. I really think that our human behavior is very interesting. And I think that the true crime community is often judged. But there is a line. And I challenge you to please never turn on a beheading video. When I saw those statistics, my heart really hurt. Because if there is no audience, there will be no videos. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I do apologize if my voice sounds off. I thought it was completely normal, but I'm really noticing it while I'm while I'm doing this episode that I'm very sticky, I guess. Um I did I did have COVID. Um most people I think had COVID in the last like month, two months, and I was one of those people. I was lucky enough to where it was not severe at all, but I think I am still sicky, so sticky, so I do apologize for my voice. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and remember, evil people are everywhere. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee, Murder, and Mystery. You can find us on the web at www.coffeemurderandmystery.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we also have a YouTube channel. All references for today's podcast are available in our show notes. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us an Apple Podcast 5-star rating sharing our show with your friends, and leaving a review. 
This helps us by allowing more people to find our show. If you would like to support our show with a financial contribution, please consider joining our Patreon. Joining our Patreon at the $5 level will give you a bonus episode on the second week of the month, as well as a second bonus episode on the fourth week of the month. Or go to buymeacoffee.com for a one-time contribution. We appreciate all of our listeners. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Thank you so much for listening. The information provided in this podcast is solely of our opinion and based upon research that we have conducted via the internet. If you feel that we have represented something inaccurately or unfairly, you can send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for your support.